Priscilla, welcome. Hello. Very nice to have you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much. This is the fun part of today. Uh, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about some very serious um, uh, discussion points, topics, uh, specifically around ethics as, yeah. a, as an umbrella term for many things we're going to discuss also on this podcast today um, in a very nice friendly way um casual casual, casual conversation but obviously um it is it is very serious um and we want to be able to portray these messages and share these messages so really to share awareness with yes. massage therapists manual therapists any exercise professional any um fitness professional any healthcare professional that really works with clients works with patients yeah anybody that works with the public in general Absolutely. Um, so I will first ask you about your background, your qualifications, and what got you started as a massage therapist? Yes. So I am a licensed massage therapist. Um, I received my license in 2019. I started teaching this course because I wasn't prepared for the amount of harassment that I began to receive almost immediately when in anticipation of getting my license, I created a business Facebook page and I immediately was flooded with all types of disgusting comments. And then when I began practicing, I was receiving harassment and solicitation in almost every location I worked at. I've worked in healthcare facilities, chiropractic offices, um, franchises. And it was just a pattern of behavior that kept occurring. And then I, I realized that there wasn't a lot of resources available to therapists. Most of the uh, resources that are out there and the boards that we have are all to protect the public from us, but there wasn't a lot to protect us from the public, which is why I wanted to start to build this awareness. So you studied in North Carolina. We're here in North Carolina yes. right now. Um, so you're saying that when you started your career, wherever you practiced, you felt that you were almost violated in your position. Yeah, yeah. In almost every location that I was in. We, okay. we surprised? I was. I was. I knew that there was a stigma for massage therapy going into it, but I don't think that I was very prepared for how much that stigma was going to affect me. Was it something that was brought up in school? Oh, yeah, yeah. We talked about it in our ethics class. Um, I think our instructor did a pretty good job about trying to prepare us for some of the harassment that we would potentially see and how to kind of navigate it. But I don't think anything can really prepare you for when it happens. So you can you can be aware that this is potentially something that you might encounter, but being in that moment is difficult. When speaking to colleagues, maybe even more seasoned practitioners, um, are experiences similar across the board? Yes, yes. Um, I realized that this was happening to a lot of us. Um, but there's also mixed feelings. So depending on our own boundaries, or our own personal trauma, what one of us might find traumatizing, another massage therapist or colleague might not see that as an issue. So I think it's it's pretty subjective when it comes to this harassment. But I don't think we should invalidate those individual experiences. Where do you think that it stems from? The harassment? The 
the profession being subjugated to harassment. I know we discussed off air, we discussed the uh, sex trafficking industry. Yeah. Um, we discussed the whole idea of happy ending, which stems from different cultures from all around the mm-hmm. world, um, expectations that people have. So in your eyes, your experience, what you've heard, what you've taught, where do you think that it stems from? Why massage therapy? Why when it's one-on-one situations? Why does this happen? So I think... First and foremost, our industry is just hyper-sexualized. You'll see it in media, like movies, whenever you see a massage therapist, there's usually a happy ending trope that's associated with it. Historically, massage therapy used to have an erotic element to it as part of healthcare, obviously, since we've since moved away from that aspect with healthcare. And then also the sex trafficking, as you mentioned, sometimes sex trafficking fronts will pretend to be a massage therapist in order to get clients and then trying to think of how I want to say it. In the United States, there are 9,000 massage fronts that are actually sex trafficking rings. Are there institutions, like undercover institutions, trying to expose these uh, places? I'm sure. There's like Polaris that is helping with human trafficking. Um, I don't know off the top of my head other government agencies that are helping with human trafficking but it is a huge deal in the united states alone it's a 32 million dollar industry massage therapy is the top front and then just below that you'll see um strip clubs and what's the other one it's massage therapy strip clubs and then escort services so obviously in massage therapy you're when a client sees you um, you're there to provide a service to maybe heal a specific injury yeah. they had, help them deal with certain things, guide them through how to, we, you know, we're talking about pain a lot. Everyone's in pain. People want to deal with pain. So you're obviously coming with the right intentions. You're hoping that the patient, the person coming in, is also coming with the right intentions to get a mm-hmm. service that will help them deal with a specific injury. Um you're caught in a one-on-one situation. Mm-hmm. Often we're alone in a dark room. Yes. With a table mm-hmm. that people like to refer to as a bed. Yes, I uh, was going to say thank you. I appreciate you calling it a table. <laughs> I know. So it's a, it's a very tricky uh, position to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think um, that women experience more of these issues than men? Massa- mass- male massage therapists? Sure. I think... In our culture, women in general tend to experience sexual harassment a little bit more than men, but men obviously still can and do experience sexual harassment. And based on your conversations with colleagues, have you heard like men, male massage therapists who experience these things? For sure, for sure. Typically, the demographic that is, sorry, I hit my mic, the demographic that is harassing the male colleagues or tend to be women versus men, or I guess it just depends on the client's sexual attraction. But sure, male colleagues can definitely get harassed as well. It's a um, you know it's it's a it's a, it's a scary thing. Um, mm-hmm. So where does the where does the massage therapist's personal responsibility come in to be proactive and to try and avoid these yeah. scenarios? So it's just being proactive and trying to avoid the situations where clients are coming into the facility with ill intentions. But it's it's hard to really have that personal responsibility because if we work for someone else, 
We might not have control over what our schedule looks like or the support in place if we are experiencing this harassment. I found that I didn't, I personally did not feel supported by like my managers or my leadership in the various locations I work when it came to harassment. Um, In some instances, my leadership, I felt, did the best that they could with the allowances that they had. But in other situations, I felt my leadership was just downright dismissive. So it's hard. I think when it comes to personal responsibility, the main thing that we need to be doing is self-advocacy. So whether that's speaking to the public and raising awareness of the harassment that we're receiving or standing up for yourself and reestablishing boundaries when it comes to our leadership and where we're working. So you start practicing massage therapy. Um, you do feel violated fairly quickly into the beginning of your career. Yes. Did you think about quitting? I did. I did. Um, even to this day, every time an instance happens, it's like, it's a shock to my nervous system. And my knee-jerk reaction is, I need to quit. I need to do something else. I need to change industries almost every time. And then it'll take me a while after I process that traumatic event. I come back down and I'm like, okay, no, I've invested time, energy, and resources into an industry that I love. And I'm not going to allow this predatory behavior to knock me off my path. Are you comfortable with opening up about certain uh, experiences that you've had? Yeah, sure. My so, voice might crack. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that's, that's absolutely all right. Um, so, so you know, what was the what was the biggest shock? What, where did this? Uh, when did you like realize? Oh crap! Like this happens. Yeah. So the first the first month that I was licensed, I was working for a independent practice. We our studio was located into this like huge commercial building. From the outside, it was very non-assuming, but inside, it was all various holistic healthcare practitioners. There was a lot of massage therapists, estheticians, manual therapists, chiropractors, all of us in the similar demographic. In the courtyard, one day I was waiting for a client and I was eating lunch in the courtyard. And the courtyard itself is not visible from the parking lot or the road. And the the majority of the windows that faced the courtyard were blocked off by really beautiful trees. It was a very zen space. Well, I noticed that there was a man sitting adjacent from me and it felt like he was staring at me, but I couldn't really tell. So I was just kind of trying to ignore it. But then I realized that he was listening to what sounded like pornography to me very loudly. And then I realized that this was a dangerous and uncomfortable situation that I was in. And I just was frozen in fear. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to leave. Because I didn't want him to follow me in my car. I didn't want him to know what kind of car I had. And then I couldn't go to my suite because at that time of day, I was the only person in that room. And then I would have been in an even more um, solo situation, private area, which that felt dangerous as well. And I didn't want to cause a scene because we were alone. I was afraid that this could become dangerous. I just didn't know what to do. So I kind of sat there for a long time. And then finally, I just started screaming at him. I asked him if he was watching porn. I told him that he was making me uncomfortable. So he started fidgeting in his bag and he was cussing me out. And I was like, okay, I might get shot. Like it was, it was very scary in that moment. And he finally left. And I just sat there for a while because, again, I wasn't sure. I didn't want to go in the, the stairwell. What if he was in there? Um, what if he was like waiting around the corner? 
So when I finally worked up the nerve to go back to my studio, I just broke down and cried. But I realized that I only had like a few minutes to process what just happened because I had a client coming. So I had to process this traumatic moment and then get it together to put myself in a dark space alone with a stranger. So that moment was when I was like, I don't know if I can do this or if I want to do this. And what if he was my client? It was, it was just, it was very scary and traumatic. Um, and I didn't feel, I think that that situation kind of shifted my relationship with my employer at that time. So I ended up leaving locations. I went to a chiropractor office. I thought that that would be safer because it's a well-known, chiropractic is a well-known healthcare field. I was hoping that the stigma didn't carry over as much, but I was still getting harassed in the chiropractor office. It was hard to escape the stigma that massage therapists had to go, or that was like overshadowing massage therapy. And you're saying that there are platforms out there that help people find massage therapists that will provide them these illegal services that they do look for. Yeah, yeah. So off the top of my head, there are two websites, um, rubmaps.com and bedpage or a variation of the two, those are online platforms that have, those are online platforms that allow people to search for locations that give happy endings. And sometimes legitimate massage therapists can wind up on these websites. We don't know why or how it happens. And it's unfortunate when it does, if our information does end up on these websites. What can, what did you learn? For, so you have, a, you, I'm assuming you've had more than this one experience? Yes. So what, 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 what do you implement today that you did not implement then? So today my boundaries are very strict. Um, in the beginning when I was trying to build clientele and I was trying to find my footing in this industry, I was a little more lenient on my boundaries. I didn't really know what bothered me and what didn't. Or I didn't have my, the confidence in myself or my abilities or my voice to really speak up when something made me uncomfortable. But now, now my boundaries are written into policy. That is, there's no flexibility in it. So I have specific things in place now to help protect myself. As a private practice, I have a little bit more control over who comes in my space. So obviously when you're working under an employer, you're at the behest of the employer's policies. Yes, yes. Which hopefully in an ideal world, your employer and your leadership would support you. For an employee that is really subdued to these policies set mm -hmm. by the employer or the corporation that they work for, um, a lot of the time, you know, you, th they might be supporting you, but at the same time, because you still don't know, maybe you haven't experienced anything yet, so you don't know what they need to support you with. Uh, so maybe policies are not set in place. Yes. So maybe someone today who has not experienced anything negative, which is hopefully, right, it's a fantastic thing if not, um, they're still in danger of experiencing mm -hmm. something um, negative or negative situation in the treatment room. What are some things that, like red flags maybe, that people can look for um, so that they can maybe go to their employers or that maybe they can implement themselves in their own practices 
to hopefully avoid these things. So I'm assuming like with your policies, with your strict policies, with your proactive work, you search for red flags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some red flags that people should be looking for, um, can look for? So for me personally, some red flags that I'm looking for, are how they fill up the intake form. I want to know, have you had a massage before? Where you've had a massage? What you're coming in for and why? Um, are you doing anything for self-care? If they leave their intake form blank and they don't put any history or if they give any pushback for filling out the form, that's a bit of a red flag for me. Um, but I also feel like some of these red flags might be a little bit subjective. I think first and foremost, you should trust your gut instincts. If you feel this situation is uncomfortable, it's probably uncomfortable. Um, and then, again, advocating for yourself. So if you're an employee, if you tell your leadership that this person makes you uncomfortable, they should respect that. You don't, they shouldn't be on your schedule if you don't want them to be on your schedule. What are some maybe less subjective red flags? Because I think that that's a good starting point mm-hmm. because let's eliminate those. And then the subjective, the subjective ones are a bit trickier. Yeah. So I am, as we talked about in the course, phrases like full body relaxation, it could be a harmless phrase, but it's also a phrase that is used for people that are looking for sexual services. So again, following up and figuring out if this is an accidental phrase that was used or if this person is looking for illegitimate services. So, so, let's, so let's break that one down. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what is the, ex- the actual phrase? Full body relaxation. So is that coming though from the massage therapist um, practice uh, describing what they do? Either, a- either or. So being mindful as a massage therapist that this is a phrase that is used on the underground I don't know how you want to say it. Mm, so so it's yeah. some sort of a code word that people use to find what they're looking exactly, for. Exactly. Exactly. When they're looking for ser- when they're looking for places that offer happy endings or sexual services, full body relaxation might be one of the terms that they're using. So being mindful as a massage therapist that on phrases that you're using. So you don't want to accidentally put out in the public that this is something you offer because they're interpreting this phrase negatively. But also if a client uses it. So as a massage therapist, if a client comes to me and says that they are looking for full body relaxation, it could be harmless. They could legitimately be coming in because they just want a full body Swedish massage and they want to relax. So it would be my responsibility to ask follow-up questions to see if this is a legitimate request or if this is predatory behavior. This person understands that this is a phrase that is used for sexual services and that's what they are coming for. Are there any other common phrases used as code words for these uh, demographic of people? Yeah, I think another one to look out for is the drape. Any types of questions about the drape or a common one is instead of a drape, asking for a towel or a hand towel. That's a red flag. Um, If they ask for adductor, psoas, or groin massage, again, could be legitimate because these are also soft tissue and muscular. They need to be worked as well, but asking more questions because sometimes they will say that they need their groin massaged, but they actually mean that they're seeking a happy ending. So just follow up questions to see if this is a legitimate request or if this is predatory behavior. So language is key. Um, Mm -hmm. Language from the side of the patient's requests. Yes. Language from the side of the massage therapist when describing what the services are that you offer. Yeah, correct. Correct, because we don't accident. We don't want to accidentally paint a picture to the public. 
or accidentally use any code words that, that solicitors are searching for. Which also brings me to a point when it comes to like SEO and Google Analytics. If you have some type of policy on your website, avoid adding the term sexual. So sexual harassment policy or phrases like happy endings will be a cancellation of your appointment. If we put the word sexual and happy ending on our website, if somebody's searching a sexual massage or a happy ending, our website might accidentally pop up because they has the key phrase. So being mindful of the verbiage we're also using online. So verbiage you use online, but also in terms of like advertisements. One mm-hmm. of the examples you showed was an advertisement um, that to many could seem innocent. It had a, it had a price, it had a picture, and mm-hmm. it had a title. Stock photo. But when, lo- but when looking at all of them together, it does kind of look legitimate and looks, you know, okay. Like yeah. to someone maybe as naive as me, it looked absolutely fine. But then when you broke it down to me piece by piece and you start tearing up this puzzle, um, you start seeing that these individual components of the ad are insinuating something that maybe could be very fishy. Yeah, yeah. So when we are building these ads over... Because, sorry to... Yeah, uh, yeah. Because as a massage therapist also, you don't want to accidentally write, send these... Uh, signals as if you're looking to lure these people in yeah so they could think that you are offering these services based on the ads that you use right exactly exactly so when we're doing these ads or we're using the language we we we're targeting specifically solicitors and what they're looking for so we want to avoid that so this might be unassuming to the general public but we know that solicitors are looking for these certain things so we want to get ahead of that to avoid getting on the solicitor's radar. So the image that we use, the price point they had was a sexual innuendo. They had the full body relaxation, which again could be harmless. And then the stock massage photo is also, it was, it was sexual in nature, which tends to be a problem with a lot of stock massage photos. They're very, they're not in positions that we actually use in practice. They're very sexually gay. So the the image that we used, it was looking down her cleavage. She was staring up at the photo with like come hither eyes. So just being mindful of the images that we're using, especially with stock photos, how they could be a little bit sexual in nature. What are some subjective scenarios specifically? Um, So if someone for example, exposes themselves to you in a closed room, um, it's, it's pretty obvious that something here is fishy and wrong and that's a big red flag. What are some subjective scenarios that maybe you use in your live courses, your live classes, um, that really create a discussion amongst people where one side says X, another side says Y? Yeah, so um, one of the examples that we use in the scenario was a client, after I told them to start face down, they told me they would start face up. So that was an immediate power dynamic negotiation. They took control over the situation, which then allowed a space for them to continue to take control, which ended up in a uncomfortable situation for me along down the road when he was playing with his genitals. So from that moment right there, I allowed space for him to take over. So what should the power, so a patient coming in to to seek massage therapy Mm -hmm. what should the ideal power dynamic be between two both parties so the ideal power dynamic we want to we don't want too much of a gap because we want our client to be comfortable so we need to make sure that the client still has 
control over their autonomy that were have informed consent throughout. But when it comes to navigating the actual professional relationship, the massage therapist should be in control of that. So in the example that I used, I should have had follow-up questions on why this client preferred the face start face up because they could have had a legitimate reason where their sinuses fill when they're face down. So they prefer to start face up or whatever. They have social anxiety and they just are more comfortable starting face up. But I didn't ask follow-up questions. So therefore, I allowed the power dynamic to shift in favor of the client versus me continuing control over it. So you think like if that situation occurred today, you would deal with the situation early on way better than you did back then? Yeah, yeah. I would have asked follow-up questions to see why. And if it was just, if I felt as though they were just trying to take control over the situation, I would have just canceled their appointment. Is there... I want to speak about that, by the way, like refusing clients and canceling appointments. But is there something like, is there a, is there a um, subject, a, uh, a scenario that maybe really caused deep discussion that people or maybe massage therapists that you worked with or taught cannot agree on on what the best practice would be? Is I think, it a tricky one? Yeah, well, I think this whole topic is you're going to have people on one side or the other, especially because it depends on your boundaries. So my particular boundaries, if I, I don't like pet names, but we're in the South, so people say sweetie, or they have pet names all the time, but that might make me uncomfortable if a client came in and called me sweetie, even if it was harmless, where a colleague is used to saying sweetie as part of their dialogue so that wouldn't have made them uncomfortable so if I said that I terminated this therapeutic relationship because they called me sweetie that could cause a lot of debate because that boundary is subjective so just because it made me uncomfortable and pushed past my boundary and what I'm allowing in my space it doesn't mean that my colleague would have felt the same exact way in that moment so that can cause some debate there on how we're handling the situation so it depends like also where what culture people exactly exactly grow up in where geographically they're from uh, even within the states right because certain yeah. states have different types of um of uh, common ways of behavior common languages they use um culturally though i know you mentioned certain words and i did before as well table versus uh, bed yes, in, yes. in the treatment room um what are some other words that you think are used because culturally it seems like we're kind of accepting um the sexualization of massage therapy. And I want everyone to know as well that when we use massage therapy, it's relevant for really any treatment room scenario, any one-on-one scenario mm-hmm. where you're isolated with a patient or really anyone you're seeing on a, as a one-on-one uh, case. Yeah, um, we're healthcare providers, so any healthcare setting. Exactly. So what is um, what is some language that we use, like people like you and I uh, and Joe here, uh, who can... <laughs> um, that maybe we should stop using uh, because we're just, we help promote this sexualization. Yeah. Well, table versus bed is a huge one. Which I've implemented from today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, other ones we'll see like do and rub. We're not doing anybody. We're not rubbing people. We are massaging or manipulating soft tissue um, as practitioners, making sure that we're using anatomical terms. So like gluteals, pectoral muscles versus like butt and boobs, which can create a sexual innuendo. We don't want to do that. And then just happy ending tropes in general. We I hear a lot from the, the public, and it could be harmless. They may not mean anything by it, but it's very offensive to me personally, and I'm sure other manual therapists also. But it also creates a space 
where people might think that this is true. So even if you're joking about happy endings and that you just think that this is funny and you don't believe this is what massage therapists do, there could still be somebody in listening distance that genuinely believe they can go to a massage therapist for a happy ending and your verbiage has validated that for them. What do people within the massage therapy community, therapists specifically, um, is there discussion around these terms? Because, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, so, but just because, um, are, like, are there massage therapists that refer to the table as a bed? There are, there are. Um, I, as an instructor, I gently guide my students to not use that terminology. As a CE instructor, I'll hear other massage therapists say it all the time. Um, and again, bed versus table is one of those subjective ones within the community. Another subjective terminology that some massage therapists find extremely offensive and other massage therapists just don't care as masseuse. Because by definition, it's a massage therapist. But culturally, it's a term used for an unlicensed professional typically giving out illicit services. So it could be a harmless phrase, but it could also be creating that environment that could potentially put massage therapists in danger. So but is there disagreement amongst the uh, massage therapists? Yeah, there's a lot of disagreement when it comes to term like masseuse or table versus bed. And is there, are there forums where this is discussed? Yeah, yeah. So on um, the only forums that I'm really in in the community is on Facebook. There's a bunch, there's various different massage therapist pages and you'll see kind of dialogue and disagreement when it comes to phrases like bed versus table and masseuse versus massage therapist. And do therapists share um, scenarios, uh, negative experiences like you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, the forums was actually one of the catalysts on why I wanted to create this class because as a new massage therapist experiencing some of the harassment, I went to these forums for advice and I felt as though there was support, but there was also gaslighting. So you're in the wrong industry. If you don't like that, what are you doing here? That wouldn't bother me. It doesn't bother you. So I wanted to raise awareness for gaslighting tactics because I don't always think it's malicious. And I genuinely believe that that may not have bothered that particular massage therapist. But that phrasing on how they were trying to be helpful negatively impacted me. So there are those ramifications for gaslighting. So you've experienced gaslighting from outside of the um, massage therapy community, but also from within? Yes, yes. So from friends and colleagues or general public and then also from within the community. That must have been uh, demoralizing. It was. It was a little frustrating. It was another one of those where maybe they're right, maybe I'm in the wrong industry. But then I, I quickly realized that, that it wasn't personal. Their boundaries are just different than mine. And then also my own lived experiences and the traumas that I've been through, they may not have experienced that. So this trigger may not have been a big deal to them, but it was, it was a big deal to me. So just understanding that it wasn't personal and it may not have been malicious, but we still need to be aware of this happening. So when you see, you notice a red flag, um, mm -hmm. again, it could be a subjective red flag that you're unsure about, but your gut is telling you to, Maybe avoid seeing this patient or cancel the appointment, refuse to see the patient. Um, what is, it's, it just seems to me like a very tough decision to make uh, because obviously it's, it's your livelihood. Um, mm -hmm. Every massage therapist that sees patients, it's their livelihood, right? Number of patients that you see, time you spend with patients, 
So it sometimes might require a lot of strength, mm-hmm. um, inner strength, inner courage to say no to seeing a client. Um, a lot of the time, I'm assuming that people's boundaries shift, mm-hmm. maybe based on where you are geographically, um, your financial situation, how much, how many patients are contacting you. Um, so it's, it just seems to me, I don't know, you don't have to elaborate on this or not, yeah. but I, I can see how it's such a difficult uh, position to be in to need to refuse to see a patient. It is, it is. So the majority of the harassment and traumatic experiences, I just punched my mic, I'm so sorry. (laughs) The harassment and the um, traumatic experiences that I had was in the beginning of my career, specifically when I opened my own private practice. Because again, um, that money aspect of things, I now had overhead. I was trying to build a clientele. I was a little bit more flexible and was justifying red flags that I may have seen. So you would log it. Okay, this might be a red flag, but also my rents do. So, and then also when we add our individual comfort level with confrontation, do we want to have that conversation with this client that we can no longer work with them or we don't want to book with them? That could be uncomfortable. So we might just do it to avoid confrontation altogether. And then also when we come into this industry, most of us come in because we we want to help people. We want to please people. So if we are turning down service, we're now feeling like, are they mad at me? Did I do something? There's a, there's a lot of internal dialogue that has to happen to make that decision. Uh, internal dialogue is difficult mm-hmm. um, for many. You know, just to sit down and think with yourself um, is a difficult task. And especially when rent is due and you need to build a clientele and you need, you need the money. Yeah. Um, and you want to help people mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, what's a resource? Like where can be people maybe speak to someone else to get a second opinion? Um, is there such a platform where people maybe don't have to make this subjective decision all on their own? Um, maybe a resource that can help them uh, really double check whatever action they choose to take. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm a huge advocate for having a mentor, especially with somebody in the industry that's already been through this. So you kind of bounce these situations off of your trusted colleague for advice. And I don't know if there's a lot of resources out there, um, but I did just recently create a Facebook page. It's called LMTs for Zero Tolerance. And that is in place to be a community for exactly that. If you're unsure about a client that might be a red flag or you need help navigating it, that Facebook page is there for you for other massage therapists that kind of help you out. Do you have a mentor? I do. I have several mentors. I have a business mentor through SCORE, which is a nonprofit organization for help small businesses. And then I have multiple mentors within the massage community, specifically my ethics instructors from school. Obviously, they taught ethics. I have a relationship with them. I reach out to my instructors from school all the time. And then I have various mentors from areas that I've worked along my career, just trusted colleagues in general. So even if like if people are unsure, um, they they might be scared to make a decision. Um, so A, the Facebook group sounds fantastic. What's the name of it again? LMTs for Zero Tolerance. LMTs for Zero Tolerance. Um, but you're encouraging therapists to find a 
a colleague, a mm-hmm. someone within the industry who maybe has more experience than them, has seen more than them, yes. and could maybe help hold their hand throughout this process until maybe you're sufficiently standing on both feet and are ready to make decisions on your own or confident enough to make decisions on your own. And at the same time, you're saying that even you with your experience and going through these different scenarios yourself and teaching a class and going through classes, you still feel like you need to speak to people, right? And have this dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have the conversation because what's that saying? You can't see an elephant if you're too close to it. Sometimes it's important to get that outside objective viewpoint from the situation. Um, I'm a huge advocate for facts over feelings. So sometimes, again, as I mentioned before, these traumatic events are a huge shock to my nervous system. So it takes me a while to come out of that emotional state to really make a objective decision on what to do or if this was just was it a was it a harmless thing that happened that just triggered my trauma response or was this a predatory behavior so being able to have that dialogue with another person to help me see the bigger picture outside of my own triggers and my own emotions can be very helpful back to power dynamics Mm -hmm. Um, also you gave a really good example earlier um off air about an athlete right a famous athlete um that maybe required special attention Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you mind um, elaborating on that one yeah sure so when i first opened my private practice a professional athlete from a well-known sports team in our city reached out for a mobile session mobile isn't something that i do so i refuse that aspect of it and mobile also opens up a whole new avenue for ethics ethics discussions yeah and safety precautions there's a lot that there's a lot of thought and processes that need to go into mobile. Um, It's just not, that's not my specialty. I don't have a lot of advice on mobile because it's not something that I do. Um, But this athlete, and at that stage of my practice, I was still building clientele, so I didn't really have any. So I thought that I should be flexible with them because they have obviously a very sporadic schedule. It was in the middle of their season. But I also thought that, It was right in line with the modality that I love doing. I love sports massage and pain management. So I thought that that'd be perfect and that I could get referrals from this person for more of the modality that I enjoyed doing. But then I quickly realized that I was building resentment because I was being too flexible and I didn't feel appreciated. And then um, there's a lot of uncomfortable crying into my personal life. And our whole demeanor kind of shifted when they realized that I was married. As soon as I said I was married, first they asked me if I was happy, which was weird. <laughs> I was like, yes. But then the the dialogue stopped altogether. They stopped talking to me throughout the session. And the, the, you could just tell that the treatment was different. And after that session, we mutually just stopped booking with each other. But you could, I could see that there was... A lack of boundary on my part by trying to be flexible to build this referral network that made me uncomfortable, but then also created a space for them to push my boundaries into my personal life. So by taking it's it is a risk, um, mm-hmm. but for many maybe a worthwhile risk to be flexible. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it could have worked out. It could have been an awesome referral opportunity. It, given what I know now, I may have still done the same thing for that potential referral. With that particular client, I went in on my day off. That aspect I probably would not do again. 
but having a little bit of flexibility. So, because even like if I'm putting myself, if I was a um, new to my career as a qualified massage therapist and had the opportunity to see some famous, and I'm just using an example here, a famous NBA player. Mm -hmm. I can see myself, um, regardless of the power dynamics that it is shit, like that creates some uh, space for it to shift towards the patient, um, the patient bringing me in on my day offs, me doing me doing home visits um, instead of the patient coming to see me in my practice. Um, I can see myself being flexible, and as you said, maybe you would still pursue the same thing, um, knowing what you know today. Uh, but so what are, let's break it down and what mm -hmm. are some things that you would tell me to do as a massage therapist wants to pursue this fantastic professional opportunity because you know maybe in a year I can be seeing only NBA players and be doing so well in my profession what should I implement so the first thing that I think you should do is at this point in time figure out what your boundaries are and then create policies in place again you can't if you're an employee, you might not be able to create an actual policy, but having them written out for your reference will be easier for you to, to recognize when your boundaries are being pushed within session. If we don't respect our own personal boundaries or we create too many flexibilities for clients when we're trying to build and grow, we create an environment where we can start to burn out and become resentment in this industry. And then I think, as you mentioned earlier, those boundaries might grow and expand and change over time, which is fine, but you should always be constantly checking in with yourself to reestablish what those boundaries are. So something, I mean, specifically, let's say practical that you mentioned was days off. Yes. So is that maybe a risky thing to implement, but at the same time, you are um, almost setting your boundary and by doing so, explaining what the power dynamics are and mm -hmm. what your boundaries are. And if it doesn't suit this opportunity, this great uh, potential client that you might have, then you might lose it. Yes. So you have to decide what is worth it for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. What, what is worth it. And, but is, is it losing the power dynamics completely, is it ever worth it? Not in my experience, no. Because when we lose that power dynamic, we create an environment that becomes at best unethical, at worst unsafe. So when we're talking about boundaries, the time off, for example, it's a time boundary. So my boundary now is that my time off is my time off. I'm unavailable. And I recently took the risk of shifting my schedule from nights and weekends to during the day, during the week, which was risky because as massage therapists a lot of our clients come after work or they work nine to five so having that schedule I ran the risk of losing clients and I, I did I lost some clients but I was also able to fill in the gaps with clients that fit my schedule within that time boundary that I now had so yes there are risks involved and you have to weigh what risks are worth it to you and for me it was worth it to have my nights and weekends back I'm sure. Um, teaching, teaching a online, teaching a live course, you're obviously passing on this message to many people at a time. And mm -hmm. being online, it's really limitless the number of people you can touch with this. What has it done to you, teaching? Teaching has taught me a lot. It has helped improve my communication styles. 
It has helped me navigate my emotional impulse and it has taught me a level of patience that I didn't have before. It's really challenged me um, because when we are teaching, again, a lot of, especially ethics, it can be so subjective. So you have a lot of different viewpoints coming in and various levels of emotion that comes with it because a lot of this conversation can be triggering. So being able to objectively take my feelings out of the situation so I can help somebody else navigate it while also dancing around my own triggers was very challenging and forced me to grow into a space that if you would have asked me a few years ago, I would have never thought that I'd be here on a podcast or speaking publicly or recording in front of a teleprompter that was way outside of my comfort zone. But each baby step outside of the comfort zone and each conversation that I have with somebody helps that individual growth. And experiencing these, uh, having these negative experiences yourself, as you think that, that that's what ultimately pushed you to become the teacher that you are? I do. I do. Um, I think that these negative experiences, teaching and talking about them were my personal way of taking control back. So when I experienced these traumatic events, it almost felt like I lost a piece of me. I lost my safety. Um, I lost my drive. Like that predatory behavior, they took something from me. They took a piece of me. So I had to, I had to re-meet myself and talking about it and sharing my experiences and helping other people through their process and avoiding similar situation has really helped me regain that sense of control and that sense of safety in myself and my surroundings. The people that attend the classes or reviews that you get online, is it clear that um, what you've experienced is not unique? Yes. And, yes. and is it, is it, um, are you sure? I'm, sh I'm sure that people have shared with you maybe during these classes as well or online or, different experiences that they've had specifically are they is it, did you ever hear anything like this surprising to you no i don't think that i have yet to hear anything that is very surprising i think that most of us are experiencing this to some level or some degree um i have noticed that as some of us are talking about some of the experiences that we've had and how it negatively affected us some students will realize that they've been in the same situation and it didn't bother them at the time, but now that they're reflecting on it, they realize that that was uncomfortable and they don't want to relive that situation. So they adjusted their boundary after hearing how this could have made somebody else feel. So everyone in their career, like whatever experience they have, it could be maybe a, a slight, a feeling of uh, discomfort mm -hmm. um, or a little small red flags here and there or maybe big ones but going through that like what is it sounds to me like a, a message that we're pushing here is whatever you are experiencing whatever type of clients you are seeing even if not you didn't lose your safety and nothing specifically bad happened to you to read signals and use it to mold your own boundaries um, your own limits and to decide for yourself professionally what you are, what services you do offer, and what is worth it and what is not worth it. Yes, yes. And also that we are all in this together. 
So although that these nuances may not have bothered you specifically, understanding that this could have affected your colleague very negatively. So helping to create an overall safe environment for the industry as a whole. Are you surprised by people's viewpoints? Because I know that there is a lot of discussion. Um, you mentioned a lot, of it, a, lot of, a lot of it is subjective. Are you surprised by some people's viewpoints? Because I'm like we're we're in the we're in uh, we're in North America. Um, yes, there's people from different locations, different states, different cultures, different ethnicities, etc. But we're still kind yeah. of all in the same boat, right? Same industry, same profession. Yeah, I'm not surprised by the viewpoints at all. Um, I've lived my entire life as a woman, so I've had these uncomfortable conversations and the pushback from speaking out. So the the different viewpoints are not surprising. Is is it a nice nice today? <laughs> um, is there a equal distribution of viewpoints though? Like it's really a spectrum of some people think all the way. Um, left some people think all the way right and then most people are somewhere in between yes yes so being an instructor trying to keep that conversation more in between because regardless of the viewpoint we none of our viewpoints are wrong they're all part of our own lived experiences so keeping it more neutral where both sets of viewpoints can thrive and feel safe and protected is kind of the challenge there is there any um force institution um governing body that maybe should be stepping in more anything that maybe i know it's a difficult question but something that could maybe in the near future be implemented to help yes yes i would like to see more laws involved as far as people seeking services and for sexual solicitors there's not a lot in place that really protects us from that like we can we can file a police report for sexual solicitation or harassment but there's not a lot of follow-through from a legality standpoint so i would like to see a shift in that there's also you know we spoke about um legal sex work we said mm -hmm. that there are counties in the u.s i know they're all located in the same state mm -hmm. um but there are counties in the u.s meaning that there are massage therapists in the u.s that are living hand in hand um, amongst legal sex workers. Yes. Yes. And with that being said, I want to make it clear that sex work is not in the scope of practice of a massage therapist. At no point, either whether it's in a legal county or not, massage therapists are not sex workers. But it just shows you how people living in different places, also, again, in the U.S., People living in different locations um, are surrounded it by different environments um, and face different dangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to, when we spoke offline that I was trying to have a conversation with a Las Vegas massage therapist to kind of see their experiences dealing with any type of sexual harassment or what support they had in place being in a county where it was legal, but I haven't had luck having that conversation yet. And I was recently speaking to a massage therapist in Australia where sex work is legal and they're still dealing with sexual harassment and solicitation. But instead of sex workers using massage therapists as trafficking fronts for illegal activities, their challenge is sex work is so 
regulated by the government that it's easier for them to pretend to be massage therapists to get around that. So it's still, they're still pretending to be massage therapists when they're giving out sexual services. So legal or not, we're still having the same challenge of trying to separate our industry from sex work. Want to move to um, maybe more positive yeah. um, discussion? <laughs> Talk to me about uh, your book. My book, so The Body Worker's Guide to Soft Tissue Pain Patterns, is a quick reference guide for trigger point therapy. It goes down, it breaks down each muscle group, and it talks about causative factors, corrective actions, and the pain pattern and symptoms that we may be experiencing or hear from clients so we can target a specific muscle. Um, the second edition is in the works. It's more of a textbook style, so it goes into action, origin, insertion, and really breaks down the muscle. And then I'm also in the process of creating a body worker's guide to safety and solicitation to go along with this course so we can talk about power dynamics, boundaries, gaslighting, kind of everything that you would get in this course, but more in depth, everything that we've been talking about on this podcast, some red flags that you can see. So keep a lookout for that as well. What is, what made you, Priscilla Fleming, write, write a book? Not because not everyone has a book. Not every massage therapist has a book. Um, I would, I would put my money on it that most do not. Um, and there's a famous Mark Twain quote that I am blanking on, but it goes something along the lines of, "If I knew how difficult it is to write a book, I would have committed suicide first. I mean, I mean, it's it's stressful for sure, especially being self-published. It has its own challenges. Um, the Body Workers Guide to Soft Tissue Pain Management was a pandemic project when we had to shut down due to the pandemic and I, I couldn't work. I was trying to stay busy um, just mentally and keep my hands busy. I was just trying to stay focused on my industry from when we did reopen. So I had all of my notes and stuff that I would use in practice. I wanted to create more of a very quick guide I couldn't find anything that I was really looking for when clients came in with their symptoms and what treatment plans. So I just created one from notes that I had in general. And then I realized that colleagues were also interested in using that. So I just looked into how to self-publish and Amazon made it pretty simple for self-publishing. So it is just a very quick reference guide. And then from there, the local school um, that I was teaching at, they brought my book on so I was able to have a dialogue with the students to see, because it wasn't meant to be a textbook. It was just a quick guide. I got their feedback on it and what they were looking for as a student coming into the industry, where I can improve, what I could add. So having that conversation with them really inspired the second edition. I wanted to keep them in mind as a new therapist on how to navigate these soft tissue pain patterns. And then the safety and solicitation textbook that was actually inspired by your offer to create this, to help me with this course created as an online course. I wanted to have some sort of reference to go with it. And I've been speaking so much at this point and I've been having all the dialogues that I wanted to condense that into something that some, something physical somebody can have as a reference. Is it changing your mind at all or your way of thinking, putting it on paper? Yes. Yes, again, I think it's helping me stay objective and not allow these emotional triggers to control my mindset and how I'm navigating this 
hypersexualized industry. Who is the um the the what's the name of the the first book? Body- a, a body worker's guide to soft tissue pain management. I'm sorry, soft tissue pain patterns. Can that be? Can that is so? That book is um, relevant for therapists. Yes, yes, and I try to it. Um, I was going to say civilians, but non <laughs> Reg- regular people. Yes, non licensed manual therapists. It's also relevant to them because it breaks down the symptoms. So it's not just the anatomical terms. It's also wrist pain, numbness in the hand. It breaks it down so they can physically see the causative factors. So rounded shoulders from working in a computer all day, or if you drive a lot, you may experience this pain, and then the corrective actions. So it was also created for people that aren't healthcare providers, where they can utilize it to improve their pain patterns as well. I was trying to keep my clients in mind as well. Do you suffer from any injuries yourself? I do. I do. So part of the reason that I became a massage therapist is when since high school, I suffered idiopathic bladder pain. So I would see specialists and physical therapists and all medications. And we just couldn't figure out why or how to prevent my bladder from hurting. And then I received a trigger point massage therapy session where they released a trigger point in my abdomen. And I've been symptom free for like five years. So massage therapy can definitely be life-changing. Incredible. And is there anything like now that you're dealing with? Um, Yes. The general symptoms of the repetitive stress injury. So my thoracic back from being rounded in working on clients tends to bother me. I need to make sure that I am keeping up with my own self-care. That's something uh, a lot lot of massage therapists forget to do. Yes. Yes. I know we were joking around off camera that I'm constantly telling clients to stay hydrated and stretch and I have to remind myself regularly to do both of those things. Has that maybe helped you understand the human body better um, experiencing injuries and pain? I think so. I think so. It helps me help my clients because I have a little bit of uh, understanding on these various pain patterns from experience and then also my education. Can someone sees a massage therapist? Mm-hmm. Is there homework involved for the patient? And do you rec- like? Do you so someone leaves your off your studio, um, the treatment room? Do you send them with some homework? It depends. It depends on one if they want homework or if they want to do self care, um, and then also what they came for. So me specifically, I specialize in pain management. So the clients that are coming to see me have something that they are trying to treat. So I might recommend some stretches or some YouTube videos for them to look out or refer them to a chiropractor or a physical therapist or something. It really just depends on the individual case-by-case basis. In your experience, do the people like to be given homework assignments? No, no. So I'll give it if they ask, but it's been my experience that they might not do it. A lot of my clients are going home and doing these stretches and researching because they don't want to be in pain anymore. But then life happens to all of us. So my chiropractor will tell me stretches to do, even though I tell people stretches all the time. I know what stretches I should be doing, but life happens and we just don't, sometimes we don't have time to do it. Could people's pain management uh, be a lot more efficient? 
if they took some extra responsibility in their own hands? Oh, for sure. For sure. If a client comes in and we've been working on a particular pain pattern and there's no improvement, I always ask what they're doing out in between sessions. And if they're not doing anything, then our sessions are only going to be temporary. There needs to be adjustments made, like lifestyle adjustments. If we're not stretching or we're not making adjustments to the repetitive injury that can happen. So as a massage therapist, if I'm rounded in all day, if I don't go home and stretch my arms out, then I'm going to set myself up for that repetitive injury. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm asking because something that uh, is kind of uh, freaked me out a little bit. I I work out almost every morning, um, and recently I saw someone, some doctor that I follow on Instagram, um, posted published a study, um, and he claims that if you work out in the morning and then sit on a chair for 12 hours, your improvement over time is going to be non-existent pretty much. So lifestyle changes is probably crucial. And I think what I a lot of the time fail to understand, and if I fail to understand it most of the time, I'm assuming most Mm -hmm. regular folk um, fail to understand that you can make tiny changes. Yeah. So if you're sitting all day, just getting up once in a while to walk it off or maybe standing a little bit instead of working at your computer from a seated position, just those small changes or setting an alarm for once an hour to just get up and do a quick lap. I hate that we're <laughs> so conditioned and we that we've normalized um even like, you know, sitting most of the time, we all sit, we sit yeah. when we drive, we sit when we eat, we sit when we, we lay when we sleep, mm-hmm. we sit when we work. We're always uh, seated and rounded in because we're on our phones all always. day or we're driving or we're on a computer. So we're just constantly seated and rounded in. So I'm always intrigued by certain um, gadgets, companies that actually make your life a bit more annoying. <laughs> a bit more difficult so for example you walked in today with the your barefoot shoes yes sorry for exposing you um and it's something that people i have barefoot shoes i'm not wearing them right now um i didn't want you to make fun of me i didn't know that you were a barefooter <laughs> uh but when, when i you know when i wear them people notice them because they look yeah. a bit funny and they ask me if they're comfortable and i say no but it's not really the it's not supposed to be comfortable. It's just supposed to you be. You don't think they're comfortable? I love my barefoot shoes. I, no, no I, I, I do think they're comfortable, but are they really more comfortable than Nike Pegasus shoes that have a huge layer of cushioning? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah. Are, they are comfortable, but like is walking barefoot at home comfortable? It just is. It's not not comfortable and it not yeah is comfortable but also that transition so if we're talking about barefoot shoes specifically most of us because of our lifestyles and the shoes that we have there's that arch support so the small muscles in our feet they're not they don't have to do the work because the arch is doing it so when we shift to walking barefoot or we shift to barefoot shoes we now have to activate those muscles that haven't had to maintain our entire body weight so it can be a bit uncomfortable in that transition. We develop a dependence on that arch. So shifting into forcing our foot to do what it's supposed to be doing without the arch can be uncomfortable for a while. 
And I bring that up, the barefoot shoes, A, because you're wearing them, yeah. and B, because it's just an example of something small that people can do that mm-hmm. might have major positive long-term benefits um, just by changing shoe brand, right? Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. many, many examples that we can break down that people could implement to make their lives better. Setting an alarm to get up every half an hour, hour, whatever it is. You're yeah. not sitting for 12 hours. And the only time you get up is when you need to excuse yourself to the restroom facilities. Where you sit most of the time. <laughs> Where you sit. <laughs> Priscilla, um, please tell our audience where they can find you. Um, I'd ask you to re- repeat the name of your book. Um, and I'd also ask you to repeat the name of the Facebook group. So to serve as a resource for massage therapist, um, future massage therapist, seasoned massage therapist um, that can really help and hopefully keep everyone uh, safer, help people make better decisions for themselves, help people set their own boundaries, Um, please. Yes, we are here to help you. So that Facebook group is LMTs for Zero Tolerance. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at P. Fleming Massage. And my website is pflemingmassage.com. And the textbook is A Body Worker's Guide to Soft Tissue Pain Patterns. The second edition is coming out soon. And also coming out soon is A Body Worker's Guide to Safety and Solicitation. Priscilla, thank you very much for being here. It's a thank pleasure you so to have you. Thank you so much for having me.